This episode of Expert Talks is sponsored by the Financial Pipeline newsletter. Feeling buried in all of the financial content out there? Make it easy and get only the financial information you need. Subscribe to our newsletter today at www.finpipe.com newsletter. Welcome to Expert Talks. I'm your host, Romina Marino. If you joined us in the past and are wondering what happened to In Conversation With, don't worry, we're bringing you the same great content, just under a new name. Consider it a rebranding to really drive home the point that you're hearing from some of the top people in their respective fields. Which is actually a perfect lead-in to allow me to introduce our guest for this episode, Chuck Grace. Chuck is a finance professor at Western University's Richard Ivey School of Business. He has spent 35 years working in the Canadian financial services industry, most recently as managing partner and president of Bigger Picture Solutions. In the interest of full disclosure, I should say that I have worked with him in the past on some robo-advice research, but always in a supportive role. The ideas and opinions he's sharing with us today are all his. Let's take a listen. All right. So thank you so much for being here with us, Chuck. Great to talk to you about this again. Um, Now we're talking, obviously, about digital advice, robo-advisors, financial technology, how it helps, how it doesn't. Um, But I think the first thing maybe we need to talk about is the term robo-advice, which I know is not your favorite term for for this technology. So maybe um, just to start off, you can tell me what it is that we're talking about and why you don't think robo-advice is the name we should be going with for this podcast or in general in life. All right, happy to. Um, I'm not sure who coined robo advice, but you know when it originated, when we first had the, the first robo advisors show up on the scene, uh, it had to do with the fact that we're using algorithms in the background to uh, provide advice, and so there is this sense that there was no human interaction, that we would never need a human person uh, to be engaged between the, the computer and the person looking for advice. Uh, we don't like that term, uh, in part because we've concluded uh, that we can't picture a world where there isn't a human engaged in the, in the advice scenario. Uh, they may be doing something different than what they do today, but there's, there's too many variables uh, in life, in the markets, in the world. Uh, there's too many things changing. The world is too complex uh, to picture a place where we don't need someone uh, sitting with another human to talk through um, what's at stake, what are the implications, what are the priorities, and all of the complexity that goes with that human interaction. So we don't believe there'll ever be a world where a robot takes over advice. And so for that reason, we coined the phrase uh, digital advice, uh, because we picture a world where uh, human advisors are uh, supplemented or assisted by uh, digital technologies to to help them make better and more informed decisions. I mean, and there's a lot there's a lot there in what you said, but I think you know maybe the first thing to to get back to is the fact that to you there is no digital advice without humans, and I think you know sort of the, the losing your jobs, the robots taking over. I think that's one of the main fears, or or the first sort of more primal fear yeah. that people have when it comes to this. Um, do you think people understand, like, or is the message getting across by now versus when maybe this technology first came on the scene that, you know, like humans don't have to go anywhere, that we can work with the robots or, you know, with the technology, <laughs> sorry, that it's okay. Yeah. So when, when robots first presented themselves, both, um, outside of Canada and in Canada, there was 
uh, a lot of pushback, a lot of perceived threat. Uh, we employ you know, close to 100,000 advisors you know, across the various channels in Canada. And, and the perception that 100,000 jobs could just disappear overnight uh, and go away because of technology was, was kind of frightening, uh, especially when we had seen digital technologies do that in other industries and, and have some wholesale destruction. So people were initially defensive, initially sometimes frightened, uh, certainly skeptical. You know, again, for all the reasons I just talked about, um, could a computer really do a better job than a human being? And for the advisors that are that were out there, uh, you know, very strong skepticism because they work with clients every day. They know how complex this is, and they know how important it is to the clients' lives. And so the perception that that could just be automated overnight um, that was you know, met with a lot of skepticism. Now. Has that changed? Yes. Uh, we've had Robo's digital advisors <laughs> in Canada now for five years. And so they're, they're more familiar. We're familiar with the brand. We're familiar with the services. Uh, those firms have done a, a good job of introducing themselves and what they're all about, what they do right, um, what they perhaps aren't as skilled at. Um, you know, one, am I allowed to mention brands? Go ahead. So you know, whatever well, you need to explain this to us. <laughs> I think you know, Well Simple is probably the most uh, famous right. digital advisor in Canada. Their marketing campaign and their advertisements that they've been putting out, their commercials, are are, are simply brilliant. Uh, so because of that, I, I think they've been able to uh, gain better brand recognition. Now, the other thing that's really important in there is in that five-year journey, uh, the digital advisors also recognized that they probably couldn't get the scale they need just going B2C, direct to consumers. They couldn't right. get big enough, fast enough. So most of them have pivoted now to what we call B2B, business to business. And they're now introducing themselves to advisors and saying, let me show you how I can make your practice more efficient. Let me show you how uh, digital advice can uh, create stronger outcomes for your clients. And so as they've introduced themselves to advisors, advisors are starting to pull back a bit now and going, oh, you know, maybe there is something here. Uh, if I can use this to create better outcomes, if I can use this to improve my practice. Uh, the example I hear all the time now is that because compliance in Canada is so complex, the typical advisor, when they're bringing a client on board for the first time, spends about 42 minutes on paperwork. Just the paperwork. Just the paperwork. After they've convinced them, after their client is set. No advice, you know, no sense of why are you here? What are your goals? What are your priorities? Just administration. Just filling out paper. Right. And using digital advice, they've got that down to eight minutes. Wow. So now advisors have at their disposal 52 minutes for advice instead of 18 minutes for advice. Right. That's pretty powerful. Uh, if if the reason you're here as an advisor is to spend more time with your clients. Right. So I guess initially it was sort of, you know, going back to the apprehension, it's sort of consumers were maybe sold on this first, partly because some of these companies did a really good job explaining what they were doing yeah. and making it accessible. And now sort of the second step is getting the advisors on board. Yes. And we're starting to see that. Yes. Right. Yeah. So all of the, the three or four big players in Canada have all now 
have some sort of service uh, that's direct to advisors, mm-hmm. not just to clients. I always wonder, Louise, I don't know if this is a fair question, but I wonder about, the, you know, are, are, do you think they're, so they're doing it willingly at this point? Because you sort of wonder when you see the banks or some people sort of really buy into this, it's like, are they just doing it because they have to? Or is it, you know, do they see the value in it? Like, Who? Um, sort of, you know, when you get, I don't know, uh, Royal Bank or any of the big guys that are sort of like, oh, all of a sudden we have a robo-advice sort of platform as well, right? Or Oh, okay. yeah. Um, you know, so from the institution's perspective, um, there's a lot of variables at play. Uh, you know, we've got the big incumbents. Uh, we've got banks. Banks behave differently than insurance companies who all right. have wealth management divisions. And the three of them often behave quite differently than the independent fund companies. Uh, so the, the reasons why they're getting into digital vary right. across that, that smorgasbord. Uh, the banks certainly have big, complex companies that they're running with broad distribution, you know, from, from the teller at the front line to the, the, mutu- the MFDA licensed advisor in the branch to the IROC licensed advisor who might be in a tower somewhere uh, managing a lot of money uh, to the insurance side. They've got all of that in one basket. So their needs are quite complex. Right. And technology, digital technology allows them to um, meet that complexity, meet that complexity consistently because machines do it the same way every time. Uh, Sometimes meet that complexity and those needs far more cost effectively. same reason we have ATMs today. Right. If someone's taking out money for themselves, uh, it's more cost-effective for the bank. If someone is onboarding, introducing themselves to a wealth manager themselves, far more cost-effective for some of those bigger players. Right. Well, and the ATM comparison is, I mean, I mean, it's a very valid one, right? And it's, it's the sort of other thing I wonder with this. I mean, is, is digital advice just a natural evolution of, you know, banks, like bank tellers get automated, like certain things move, you know, <clears throat> financial services. You mentioned this in your paper. I mean, they've always, there's always been innovation. It's not that people have this image of like, well, it's a very sort of like stuffy banker sort of image, right? But it doesn't mean that it's never changed or that it never should change going forward, right? So is this in a way just progress? <laughs> Maybe Absolutely. as long as it's done right. There's no magic here. We've seen this. Uh, hundreds of times and dozens of times, not just in financial services, but but outside. This is absolutely just a natural evolution of technology. And Canadian financial service companies uh, have been very, very quick to adopt technology uh, for very, very good reasons, not not just for shareholders, but for clients. And I think this is just a continuation of that. Um, At the same time, it's just a natural continuation of the technology trends. Um, when we sat down with people to ask about what's the future of digital advice and what are the, the bleeding edge technologies that we're going to need to make this happen, it wasn't bleeding edge. It's stuff that people see every day today already. Uh, so there's no creativity necessarily in the technology. It's just a natural evolution of access to the web, access to search engines, um, access to sophisticated algorithms, access to uh, broader, deeper swaths of data, which allows you to make better, more informed, precise decisions, all of which are, are fantastic. Right. It's good news. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and I mean, so going back, you know, you were saying about when you sat down with people and sort of try to figure out what the way forward was. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your research because there's a lot there (laughs) and I know it pretty well. Um, But, um, you know, there was sort of three main stakeholders that you thought you kind of needed to talk to, I guess, when all this started. (laughs) Um, Can you tell me a little bit about who they are and why this is sort of why these were the people that needed to to bring some input into this discussion? Yeah. So we picked on. Well, let's call them the incumbents, so the established players. We picked on the technologists, and we picked on the regulators. Now, when when I say picked on, we, we asked for their encouragement and, um, and engagement here. Behind the scenes, there were two other stakeholders that didn't really get mentioned per se in the research. But So number one were clients. Now, they're implied in everything we did. So when we talked to uh, the banks and so forth and said, in the client's best interest, where do you see this going? When we talk to technologists, what are you doing that's in the client's best interest and is going to help with transparency or costs? And of course, the regulators are always driven by client's best interest. So in the background, there's always the clients. Right. The fifth one that we didn't spend a lot of time on were the startups. So we were interested primarily in what does digital advice mean to the people that are practicing advice right now and not necessarily to the, the company with two or three people that's just getting warmed up and, and right. or, or skilled at technology but not financial services? So we picked on industry because we wanted to understand what are the implications of this um, you know, strategically from a disruption perspective. If this goes gangbusters, um, what are the implications for some of the biggest, most respected institutions in, in our country? We wanted to understand the technology. Uh, what technology are you bringing to bear? What does it mean? Uh, you know, when we talk about uh, robots being scary, everybody automatically assumes AI, right. artificial intelligence. So we wanted to ask, well, are we really talking about machine learning? Do we need machine learning? Do we need artificial intelligence? Do we need that Turing test where the, the machine is now um, you know, a sentient human being? And you know, what came back was, no, we don't need any of that. And then, of course, the regulators play a crucial role in all of this because they kind of define the playing field and, and the rules of contest and who's going to be allowed to do what, to whom, under what circumstances. So um, you know, we, talk, we talk about the technology folks um, and if there's a 22-year-old kid coding in the background, we needed to put the fin in fintech. Right. You know, understanding the business. But understanding the business also means understanding the rules of engagement. Right. And things you're allowed to do and things you're not allowed to do. And at the same time, uh, the rules that may have to change because of what technology can bring to the table. Right. So that's why we picked on those, those three constituents. Right. Um, the bottom line here is, if we're going to move into a digital world, we need those three players on the same page, uh, talking to each other and making this a priority. Right. And it's a three-legged stool. Right. If one of them says, no, I'm not going here, then we're, we're not going to be. The whole thing. Game. Yeah. Where, are they on the same page? No. <laughs> <laughs> are, are they very far apart from well, the Canada is a complex world, so there's no generic answer to that. Again, the banks behave differently than the insurance companies. 
the insurance companies behave differently than the independents. And each of the players within those segments, some are winning and some are losing. Some are more agile than others. So some absolutely get it uh, and some don't. Um, within our regulators, you know, to say, do the regulators get it? Well, we have two dozen regulators in Canada, um, maybe three dozen, because we sort of have you know, three different regulators in each province. Right. And <clears throat> no, they're not all on the same page at the same time. Uh, they have different agendas, uh, different timetables, different access to resources. We don't have a national security regulator, sort of an overarching yes. regulator that's telling them all to, you know, let's get to the same place at the same time. Right. So it's a very complex world. So even, yeah, even within one of the categories, some people might be for it, some people might be against, or they may not understand. Do they at least understand what they need to do, even if they don't all agree? <laughs> that Who? Um, well, I guess we're talking about the regulators. So do they understand that maybe licensing rules or that some things have to change for digital advice to move forward to its full potential? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, I think they're trying to wrap their heads around it. Uh, they're trying to wrap their heads around the technology. Right. Blockchain is complex. I'm trying to just figure out what the heck is blockchain and how does it work? That takes a little while just to wrap your head around. Right. Let alone, okay, so what does that mean? Let alone in a world that's not standing still. Right. While we're doing this. Right. So I think they've made it a priority. Um, you know, without naming names, I'll, I'll name one. The OSC seems to be leading the charge in terms of getting their heads around this, understanding it, getting in front of it. They've got their <clears throat> their sandbox right. where they're asking people to come in. When we had our conference, uh, they practically begged the audience to please call us and engage us. We're ready, willing, and able to help you get in front of this. Right. Uh, but the phones aren't ringing. Please call us. Right, right, right. So they're probably the strongest at this point. Right. Well, which is interesting because I always had the sense that the regulators were the problem, right? Like you always think they're the like boring guys that stop and they're like, no, you can't do this. You can't do that. And like, I'm kind of kill everybody's fun. But I guess, I guess it's kind of, nobody is exactly doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's not just the regulators, I guess. Um, well, if we just pick on the regulators for a second, you know, are the regulators in the way? Yes and no. Um, they were adamant when we talked to them that there are no regulations per se that preclude digital advice. Right. And today, if a human gives bad advice, they're held accountable. In the future, if a machine gives bad advice, whoever programmed the computer and sponsored that, that uh, algorithm will be held accountable. So the regulations per se aren't an issue, but the regulators are. Because in Canada, we have a lot of them. Right. And that creates a lot of complexity when you go to implement. And it creates silos um, when you're trying to give holistic advice in particular. So the issue with holistic advice is if, if I want to give you advice about the entirety of your life, which isn't just your wealth, which also includes your insurance, your debt, all of those kind of good things, I need access to all of the data to make that happen. But we have regulatory silos that preclude the transfer of data back and forth. Right. Uh, insurance companies cannot exchange data with bankers. Well, if I'm doing a cash flow projection and trying to figure out an insurance need, 
boy, wouldn't it be great if I access, had access to the checking account and the machines could just do it in a nanosecond. Our regulatory silos don't allow that transfer of data. So that's a structural encumbrance. It's not the regulations. Mm -hmm. It's the number of these silos that we right. created. I mean, is part of this just that the technology sort of came up and people were like, you know, cool, we can apply it to all these different things, but everything around it wasn't quite ready for, it's like, it almost seems like digital, you know, it just sort of started moving forward and everybody else is kind of trying to catch up. Absolutely. And, yeah. and you know, that's happened for eons and eons. Our, <laughs> right. our regulations in some cases are hundreds of years old, tens of years old, and digital technology has been a force to be reckoned with for 10 years. Right. So yeah, when we wrote these regulations and created these structures, we had no clue. Right. Okay. So, okay, so there's some, some issues on the regulatory side. The technology you were saying is kind of already there. It's just a yeah. matter of applying it properly, mm -hmm. right? And the client is always in the background. <laughs> yeah. We're thinking of them, but they're not at the center of this, of the, of the thinking of this discussion. And then um, I guess the financial industry is the other one, which we've sort of covered a little bit. Yeah. But... So that, again, that's a big, complex creature. Yes. Um, all of those competitors have different agendas. They have different resources. They have shareholders they're accountable to. Um, they'll have different, obviously, leadership teams. So, you know, to ask, do they get it? Yes and no. Now, some do. They've made it a priority. Others have other priorities that they perceive as more pressing. Right. Uh, typically, though, you know, the competitive spirit, the competitive need will win out in the end. If one launches, the others will follow right. pretty darn quickly. The, the interesting thing from a strategy perspective is whether those big boys can react fast enough before one of the smaller, more nimble players jumps into this mix. Right. And not even necessarily smaller and more nimble. Um, you know, can our Canadian banks jump on this, leverage this, and uh, adopt this before Amazon or Google? Right. Decide that they want to do it, or before Vanguard in the U.S. decides that they want. Vanguard U.S. has announced they're introducing a digital platform to Canada in the next twelve months. Vanguard U.S. is bigger than the entire Canadian wealth services industry. So if a big player like that says we're coming into Canada, holy cow, we better be on top of that. Right, right. Uh, and certainly everybody knows the Amazon and the Googles of the world, how much money they have at their disposal. And right. They said, uh, we want to get into the wealth management space and we're starting with Canada. Holy. Yeah. Th then maybe we should, maybe they should be scared. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll say holy cow, but there's another word that comes to right. mind as well. Right. Um, so that's in the background in all of this, is that sense of urgency. Yes. And that sense of urgency will be created as soon as a big, credible player has an impact on the market and people see market share drifting away from them, then I think we'll get their attention. But right now, there isn't necessarily a burning bridge. Right. There's a smoldering bridge, right. but it hasn't burst into flames yet. Right. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, and then um, I just have a couple of more questions, but I mean, I can ask you like a hundred more, but, um, you know, we were talking about the challenges a little bit, but I mean, 
I mean, what are the opportunities, right? Like, what's the reason to do this? Because your research found that we should be wanting to integrate digital technology into advice because it'd be better for everybody, right? So um, I guess we've been covering some of the challenges, but I mean, like, what's the why? Like, why should why should we be doing this? Aside from the fact that we don't want Amazon to do it first. <laughs> so great, you know, great wraparound to basically to the beginning. We should be doing this because it's in clients' best interest. We can deliver better advice, better service, better products uh, to Canadians if we adopt digital. And especially if we do it in a hybrid world. So we use the, the term one plus two equals four, uh, where if you take a machine and you twin them with a human advisor, absolutely convinced we can deliver better advice, faster, more precise, more transparent. Uh, there are some things that machines do really, really well. There's some things that humans do really, really well. If we respect those two differences, but put them together, absolutely convinced that Canadians will benefit from this. Right. They'll get better advice. They'll know what they're getting and they'll probably get it cheaper. All right. And all of those things are, are, are great for consumers. And if the value proposition for consumers is that strong, you know, someone's going to jump in there. Right. Someone will, someone will figure that out and jump in pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. But do you think maybe that's part of the problem for the financial industry, though, the, the, the association with fees, right? Like there's so much pressure on fees right now, right? And everybody is like all these commercials where people are being really mean to the advisor and yelling at them for charging them money, yeah. right? And aside from, you know, what's legit and what isn't in terms of fees, I feel like a lot of the discussion of robo-advice, um, or digital advice, sorry, just gets tied to fees, right? It's just like, oh, it's just because people don't want to pay, so they're going to take um, a robot, they're going to do a questionnaire online, have a robot tell them what to do, and they're not going to get as high quality advice because they're not willing to pay for it. Like, is that sort of part of the... Yeah, so when I, when I say the, the bridge isn't on fire, it's just smoldering. There's, there's a lot of pressure on our financial services industry to reduce our costs. We, we keep that the headline is Canada has the second most expensive mutual funds and investment funds uh, in the world. And what are you getting for that? And some people will take advantage of that to try and position themselves a little bit differently. Right. Uh, so in the background, yeah, the, the introduction of, quote unquote, the robo-advisors, was that really about better advice or was that a cost strategy? Right. Come to us, we're cheaper. Yes. We don't have bricks and mortars. We don't have human beings. Uh, everything's in an algorithm. We can give you great advice much, much cheaper. I'm not sure they emphasize the great advice as much as the much, much cheaper. Right. And of course, in the background, all of the robos, when they launched, were using ETFs, right. which are perceived to be dramatically cheaper than um, the big mutual fund complexes we have. So that's absolutely in the background um, as a key driver of change. Uh, digital just happens to be the answer to that change. Right. There's other things you can do. Right. Cost down. And the industry has. Costs are coming down um, pretty dramatically over the last five years mm -hmm. without the technology. Right. But I guess but when, what, you are, what you're talking about in, in your research when you say about the value of you know, a digital and human hybrid, yeah. like it, it's, the focus isn't on, on the cost. The focus is on the fact that you get better advice when you combine the two. Like we're not just saying go online and have somebody kind of tell you what you're reading. <laughs> like you're actually talking about something much bigger than that. Cost is important, but good advice is broader than that. So good advice means 
clarification of the goals and the priorities. You know, what's the client trying to get done? Uh, good advice includes uh, an intimate understanding of their risk tolerance, risk capacity, um, and crafting the appropriate asset mix to meet that need. Uh, good advice means that it's not about gross returns, it's about net returns. So we need to talk to clients about taxes, and we also need to talk to them about fees. So um, you know, anytime, especially in a low interest rate, low return world, if the equity markets are only throwing out you know, five, six, seven percent annually, if I have to give two of that up in fees, ouch. And I'm going to want a very strong explanation for why I gave up two thirds of my returns for advice. Right. So that's why we talk about the value of advice, not necessarily the cost of advice. So in that context, fees are important, absolutely, but they're just one piece of the puzzle. Right. That makes sense. And I guess maybe like, as you were saying, you know, with Wellsimple having done a good job explaining what they do, maybe part of it is that advisors haven't done a good enough job explaining the value of what they do. Right. I mean, I feel like you, you don't want to go to the cheapest like surgeon. You don't want to go, right. <laughs> like you sort of understand for a lot of fields that you pay what you get for, but it feels like in, in the financial world, that's not always the case or it's just that people are only looking at that number. And that, yeah. That, so the, you know, the test they always have for advertising is people talk about, oh, I saw a commercial and I just loved it. And then they'll say, but who was it? And if you can't remember the brand, it wasn't a good ad. And there's one out right now where the, oh, I can't remember the brand. But there's a, a doctor comes in to see someone who's having surgery. And they ask, the patient asks the nurse, so, you know, is, is the doctor very good? And she says, he's okay. <laughs> right. There are times when you don't want okay. Right. You want the, the practitioner to demonstrate skill and expertise. Right. Have advisors done a good job of demonstrating their value? They're getting better at it. Uh, it's been a priority for the last probably 10 years now uh, with a lot of industry push explaining this complex world we live in. Right. Part of the issue, right, is... Uh, explaining the complexity. Sometimes people go cross-eyed and tune out. Uh, so I think advisors are getting better at it. Um, but there's also a transition afoot. And the transition is linked to digital. There are things machines can do better. And so advisors who are hanging their hats on uh, achieving alpha, achieving unusual performance, uh, doing an unusually good job chasing trends, of doing an unusually good job of crafting asset mix. Anything that's mathematical, if an advisor hangs their hat on that, they're vulnerable. The machines will probably do it better and faster and tirelessly moving forward. So that means in demonstrating value, advisors are going to have to look outside of that, probably more to the behavioral side, uh, the coaching, the mentoring, helping ensure clients don't make mistakes. Right. The system one, system two exactly. that you have talked about, which talks about, I guess, the different parts of your brain that can do different things. Yeah. Um, right. The quantitative versus subjective side of the brain. Right. Uh, any human is going to try and pretend that they're faster and more precise at quants than uh, a computer is an exceptional human being. Right? <laughs> There's maybe two or three of those in the world. Right. The computer's often going to do that better. And then the other side of that is that Humans can be quite gifted at quants, but we get tired in a hurry. Like we can only do deep, deep quantitative thinking for one or two hours. 
And then we need a nap. Right. Machines never need a nap. No. So we're going to have to transition the role, the value that advisors play uh, to where we're gifted and not where the machines are gifted. Right. Why is this something you chose to study, to research, like this whole area of digital advice? You. Um, well, so it's, it came naturally to me because it's my background. It's, it's where I spent 25 years of my, my career. Um, and I've seen the good things and the bad things that, that we do uh, when delivering advice. But So the reason I, I jumped on digital is because it's important. The consequences are really important. When we look at digital disruption, and you look at the classics of you know, uh, Netflix versus Blockbuster, and Airbnb, and Uber, and those guys. When they blow into an industry, shareholders are disrupted, employees are disrupted, uh, and those are very, very important people. But we don't bring down economies, or they don't bring down economies. Uh, they don't necessarily impact the common person in the street. Right. If we deploy the same disruption to financial services, it's not just shareholders, it's not just employees, it's virtually everyone in society that needs money. And you know, coming out of 208, 209, if we mess it up, there can be dire consequences across the globe. So I was a little, I was fascinated and perplexed by um the potential impact of digital disruption on something that's so important. Right. Every Canadian virtually uh, needs access to money, wants to take care of their kids, wants to live under a roof, and probably wants to retire. All of those things are touched by financial advice. Right. So I think we have a responsibility to do it right. And not just let a 22-year-old kid who's coding in Russia tell us what our financial services are going to look like in the future. All right. Well, and I mean, and you propose a way forward, right? In your yep. in your paper, um, is that sort of where where your research ends at this point, or what's next? Like, is this, is this kind of what we're considering going forward, or what are you working on now? If <laughs> well, it it can't to the extent I have energy left. It can't end there because the world doesn't stop moving. Right. Um, the digital advisors that were launched five years ago have already been through three significant pivots in their business strategy. Uh, since we wrote the paper, Vanguard has announced they're coming to Canada. Royal Bank has launched theirs. Uh, CI has bought one of uh, the robo-advisors. So the world is not standing still. And so you got you got to remain current with what's happening there. Um, you know, in terms of what we're doing um, at the school, um, you know, we've launched a fintech elective, for example, and we're trying to ensure that our HBA grads are, know what digital disruption is and how it impacts fintech and what their world is going to look like, and making sure they they leave to embark upon their careers with a solid ground. Right. Uh, we're looking at an exec ed program where um, we don't just want to teach executives about this. We want to do a bit of a hackathon uh, design sprint with them where um, they go through some academic-oriented exercises, but at the end, they come out with a real-life design and prototype 
uh, that they can launch when they get back home, uh, back to their businesses. Uh, even in a Dragon's Den kind of forum, where we'll, we're going to announce which one had the best design. Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> podcasts. Um, we just made a submission based on the, uh, the paper that you and I wrote together. Uh, we tweaked that a little bit and submitted it to CD Howe. And that's been submitted to the federal government, who's looking at open banking and open data. Right. So we're trying to influence a little bit as best we can uh, what the regulators are thinking about right. as well. Um, when, when I first started teaching, um, a lot of people looked at me and said, oh, what a great job. All you have to do is create your curriculum once and then deliver it the same way forever. You don't have to right. put any effort into this. And I went, yeah, but I was stupid enough to be on the finance side where every day when you wake up, it's a brand new adventure. Right. And every time I go into a classroom, I have to know what the headlines say. And this is the same thing. Every day when you wake up, there's a brand new adventure. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got to chase it down. Well, and it's interesting just to close up that, you know, it's the, the way you're talking about it. I feel like some people still talk about this like it's optional. Right. Like interacting with this technology, like accepting digital advice. Oh, well, I don't want to touch that. And it's just interesting that like you wouldn't even just the whole approach the school is having is that this is here. So we better learn how to deal with it because it's not we can't just pretend it's, we can leave it leave it alone. Right. Because it's coming or it's here whether whether we want to or not. You, <clears throat> you've basically got two decisions, um, neither of which include. I can ignore this. It's it's here. It's coming. It's either going to be done with you or done to you. And those are your two decisions. Which side of the fence do you want to be on? Um, do you want to lead the charge and define what this is going to look like in the future? Or do you want someone to do it to you? Because disruption is here. It's happening everywhere. It's happening every day. All you got to do is look at the headlines south of the border. You know, and let's talk about politics in a digitally disrupted world. The new normal is gone. Um, it's a brand new adventure every day. Right. And same thing for financial services. That's great. Well, this has been so amazing. Thank you so much for being with us, for talking about this again. And uh, yeah, thank you. My pleasure. And that was Chuck Grace. Thanks again so much to Chuck for joining us. I think this was a really great conversation and a good chance to delve into the topic a little bit deeper. Hopefully it's also giving you guys a lot to think about. You can always find out more on our website, www.finpipe.com, through our newsletters, and of course, on social media. If you want to reach us directly with any thoughts, ideas, or questions, you can send an email to podcast at finpipe.com. Until next time, I'm Romina Marino, and this has been Expert Talks. This episode of Expert Talks is sponsored by the Financial Pipeline newsletter. Feeling buried in all of the financial content out there? Make it easy and get only the financial information you need. Subscribe to our newsletter today at www.finpipe.com newsletter.